0: Who I am and what I offer is enough now as I am. I'll be in a different place in 12 months, in two years, in five years, in 10 years. I'll be in a different place and that's for the future. I don't need to grasp, I don't need to attach, I don't need to avoid. I can be who I am right now and that is enough.
1: Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders. To those of us who have been around for a while. I'm
2: your host, Beth Harrell, a Certified Eating Disorders Registered Dietitian and Supervisor.
1: And I'm Abby Brown, a Registered Dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself
2: as a well-seasoned cast-iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready
1: for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the
2: table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. If you've listened to no other episode of The Seasoned RD, this will be the one. It brings the entire purpose of the podcast into perspective. And organically, you'll witness a mini supervision session, when Abby asked our guest, Fiona Sutherland, dietitian in Australia, a question that was on her mind and likely on many of your minds. Also, I'm lucky enough to have an incredible intern, Caitlin, with me. This was the second episode of The Seasoned RD that she helped me with, and I wanted to tell you, she said, I have a feeling that people and myself will be listening to this seven times over. I couldn't agree more. And I had so many different ideas for titles of this podcast. When do we get to the good stuff? Staying open-hearted to my own feelings. Good grounding is enough. Maybe we just need another human being to join in the suckiness. (laughs) I couldn't do that one because my producer would say, Beth, that's a little too long of a title offering a ton of compassion, finding a way to feel our feelings, and that example of the supervision impromptu with Abby. But if you listen to all of this, you don't need the perfect title because you'll get all of it. All the links are in the show notes for Fiona and the things that she offers and how to be in the room with her and learn from her besides this podcast. This is just a the tip of the iceberg. So I also wanted to share a couple of comments from (laughs) GVGKBMNU. Wow, that episode with Jessica Setnick made my brain explode with thoughts. So good. So many excellent points. Thank you for this. And a comment from David, someone I invited to be a guest on the podcast who was waiting to feel more seasoned. But after listening to Chelsea Levy's episode, he was inspired and ready. And if any of you also feel like you're not ready to jump in and start doing this work, maybe listening to this episode with Fiona will help you know where to start. I hope you enjoy as much as we did. Welcome Fiona Sutherland to The Seasoned RD. Thank you so much, Beth and Abby. I am so thrilled to be here with
0: you.
1: Well, we are excited to have you. I feel like I already know you. we have just been listening to your voice so often through courses and other podcasts, but we are extremely excited to have you on our own podcast now. We're just going to ease you into it with some icebreakers. Mountains or beach? Beach, definitely. Sand in my feet just feels so great. Do you live near the
0: beach? I don't, unfortunately, although the city that I live in is called Melbourne, which is down in the southeast corner of Australia. So it is a coastal city, but uh, I live probably about 40 kilometers or what would that be about 25 miles from the nearest beach so yeah it's, a, it's an easy day trip but no not near enough to go for a morning feet in sand
1: adventure unfortunately gotcha okay next question is breakfast or dinner
0: Ooh, um I would say dinner because the main reason is because dinner for me really conjures up the, the higher possibility of me having a meal with friends and family, which is something that I absolutely love doing. Whereas breakfast, perhaps in my earlier adult years, would have been absolutely my meal of choice, definitely. But I mean, breakfast, meaning 11 o'clock with a big sleep in, for sure. But nowadays, I would say dinner. Audiobook or paper book? Ooh, this is a great question. I would say until about 12 months ago, paper book, very dedicated to paper books. There is something about the physical feel of them that feels just really good, feels really familiar. And I really enjoy the process of physically turning pages. I would say over the past 12 months that I have become much more into audiobooks particularly because in my city we were hit very very hard with covid and we had a lot of high level lockdowns and so my one kind of adventure for the day was really heading out and getting some fresh air and you know moving my body in a in a gentle way and so that's a time where I would you know listen listen to a book I do have to say, however, that I have become a little bit fussy with audiobooks and it now needs to be the author reading it for me. It needs to be the author reading it because there is something about the spirit and the soul that comes into an author reading their own book, which I feel just... You know, and apologies to any author that absolutely chooses this, you know, to have somebody else read it, but it doesn't feel the same for me. And no. so I I will buy a book that I have been meaning to read that is by the author. So I I do oh I I'm glad sorry. you
2: mentioned that because I feel so much the same. And I do I'm more of an audio book, but look, this podcast goes back to like the cast iron skillet days. And I will send you a a handwritten stamped thank you card. You know, it's like old fashioned stuff. So I love to have the paper. I like to write my notes on paper, but there's so many things that are audio that are better. And audiobooks are just digital. I'm the same as you. I really prefer to have the author speak. Well, good. Okay. So we, you are in Australia. It's not registered dietitian like it is in the United States, correct?
0: That's correct. We are called accredited practicing dietitians. So it is APD are our post nominals, I guess you would say.
2: Great. Did you have to take a board exam or some kind of an exam to get that credential? No,
0: no. so our credential works that you do a either a four-year undergrad or a two-year master's Mm -hmm. and then you do have to be a member of our national organisation to become an accredited practicing dietitian, which is where all of our our ethics and our safety standards reside. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's how it, it operates just slightly different here through the training processes and then the registration processes as well.
2: Okay. And then there's a newer certification for those working with eating disorders. Yeah, are you? So you're familiar with that because you shook your head. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is go. This is called the Certified Eating Disorder Clinician, so CEDC, and it's been in the pipeworks for quite a number of years now, but has really come to fruition over about the well, really over the past twelve months or so. Mm. So I've been extremely fortunate to have been kind of not so much part of the the planning process so much that being one of the trainers who has been kind of allocated to train dietitians so that we have a really consistent framework that we're working from when it comes to eating disorder care for dietitians. So there are lots of different trainers. Um, There's just a small handful of us training dietitians, but for therapists, there's quite an array of different people doing different modalities, different models. And then after you do the training and also supervision, which is, I know what we're going to be really diving into Mm -hmm. today, but this has been one of the things that I have really, really valued as part of this credential is that they've they've really baked in supervision into the credential as yeah. being a compulsory part of being a credentialed clinician, whether that's the dietitian or a therapist which means that it inherently elevates supervision as a really critical practice to mm. particularly working with eating disorders, but also across different sectors as well. So we actually have now supervisors working in disability, in aged care, in pediatrics, as gut specialists, sports dietetics. So it's been really, that. That's apart from consistency of care across eating disorders, which I think is really important, that the elevation of supervision and the real centering of of supervisory processes has really served to set a standard, a new standard for what is really... I was gonna say invited from us, but I think requested and required from us in terms of the standard of care that we are then expecting of ourselves when we're working with people across different sectors.
2: Mm, For sure. I love the way that you said that. And it's interesting too, because you I'm really glad that you're the teacher, that you're one of the teachers for the dietitians, because you've taught so many of us, whether it's for certification or not, right? I was in an Academy for Eating Disorders room. With a mentee, their um, annual conference, and that person was speaking about sports nutrition and eating disorders and knows you. And of course, she said, you know, even to know her, she's, she is all that.
1: That's very sweet. Yeah,
2: so many of us have learned from you. And so that's that we're just really glad that you're here on this podcast to teach us a little bit more. So, how how did you get into supervision? How did you learn about that?
0: Yeah, thank you, Beth. That's a beautiful question. So early on in my career, I have to say, so just to give listeners context, I've been a dietitian now for I would say 20 maybe 22 23 years or so and I did spend the first four years of my graduate of my graduate dietetic years traveling and working so I spent two years in the UK working as a clinical dietitian and I think that story can be cut short in saying not for me that's in that category of of, uh, of career stages and then I spent the next two years actually living in Canada and working with young people a lot of whom were marginalised and really, you know, in, in very very tough situations, and that really invited me to grow up and and introspect in ways that I hadn't really done before. And so I was still maintaining my my dietitian credential, but I had started to really move away from being interested in dietetics. I did not have a strong foundation in client-centered care, in counseling skills and in really understanding humans. And what that early career non-dietetic experience really showed me was about the human experience, it really introduced me to what is now called, you know, social determinants of health and about all of the different ways that humans do really show up in the world and that, you know, food and eating and the way we regard our bodies can't be disconnected and can't be You know, held separately from our broader life experiences and how we are treated as human beings. And so, early on in my career, as I kind of I found myself in an eating disorders, kind of an outpatient private practice—that's the best way to describe it—and in high performance sport as well. And I did not have supervision in my early years purely because I didn't know it was available. I didn't know what it was, and I knew the therapists that I work with—they'd had all supervision, but I thought it was like a therapist thing. And so it wasn't until probably I was working in eating disorders for maybe, oh, god goodness, I, it's awful to look back now and think how unsupported I was. I think I'd probably gone through one kind of bout of burnout by this stage, but I had a wonderful colleague who was duly certified as both a dietitian and also a family therapist as well. And so she was the one who really led the charge to say dietitians should be supervised and I'll put up my hand to supervise the dietitians in the practice. And so that's when my learning really started. And she really taught me about preparing for supervision and how to bring really good questions to supervision how to bring a really good reflective spirit to supervision because of her family therapy training she was really able to introduce me to the idea of systems and you know the the way that that the the way that we interact as humans is so crucial and critical to the way we experience the world, the way we experience our own bodies, and the way we experience food and eating. So that was fairly early on in my career. And when I, I did have a variety of experiences with supervision, I will say, so my very first ones were wonderful and just steep learning curves, I've got to say. It was very... I guess I would say confronting in a few different ways. You know, there was kind of edges of me and edges of my work that became exposed in lots of ways and, you know, having somebody there who was able to hold those vulnerabilities with such kindness and such warmth, you know, that I was able to meet my own vulnerabilities with then with kindness and warmth and be able to stay really open-hearted to my own learning, which (sighs) is something that I carry into my own practice as a supervisee today, still today, and then as a supervisor still today as well. You know, being able to hold our vulnerabilities and our learning edges with warmth and compassion and openness is is something that I learned from my first supervisor and something that I hope, you know, kind of, kind of stays alive in me today. So I think, you know, over the years I've had a variety of experiences, but
2: I think those early ones
0: were really pivotal for me, my very first ones. For sure.
2: When you said confronting, that is, it feels that way because it's, it's not therapy, but it's not just case consultation. We're not just saying, okay, let's do these formulas and let's apply it. And this, it is how, I and mean, I've attended your trauma-informed nutrition course and it was amazing, but just like our nervous systems, how they show up in the room. I use that phrase a lot now but it can feel really confronting when you're starting to identify your own nervous system in the room. But I also have to say that when you were talking about at the, you reached your had first bout of burnout, supervision helps you through that too in a huge way. Yeah, yeah. Ab-
0: absolutely. So, you know, burnout is something that now, given that it's 2022, you know we we most of us collectively in the healthcare provision services have either had a glimpse of it or we've been in the depths of it one one or the other you know and also kind of somewhere in between even for early career dietitians and therapists like we've either had a glimpse of it or we have been up close and personal with it so you know burnout through a nervous system lens can really be understood to be you know a really overworking of our sympathetic of the sympathetic branch of our of our autonomic nervous system to the point where we to the point where we can't maintain that anymore and and more uh, the dorsal branch starts to come into play and we find ourselves feeling a bit I call it freezy, we call it, it it's kind of the the freeze section of the fight flight freeze. So our fight and flight is more dominated by our sympathetic branch. And then the uh, freeze is what's called a mixed state. And so we might have, it's got that, that feeling, the best way I describe it is that feeling of kind of accelerator on, on the inside. So kind of that anxious, overworked state on the inside and then feeling kind of lethargic, fatigued, can't kind of get going, kind of nummy, spaced out on the outside. So it's this really, it can be very confusing and very frustrating for people as well. But that's, if if you recognise that in yourself, either on kind of a low level buzz or like a high level high level noise, then that is what is described as, as, as burnout. And certainly I think and feel and have experienced myself that supervision is a very, 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 very powerful burnout protective mechanism because there are ways that we can protect ourselves and really take care of our own practice, our own bodies, our own minds and our own nervous system in ways that help us to do things like set really good boundaries, to be able to reach out for help in a timely way, to be able to walk our talk. Like, are we feeding ourselves regularly? Are we hydrating ourselves regularly? Are we moving our bodies in ways that really take good care of us? Are we sleeping adequately? Are we, you know, just just really taking care of ourselves in the way that we promote in others as well? And all those can be really powerful protective mechanisms if we find ourselves Well, almost inevitably, I think, you know, really kind of on that edge.
1: I have, I mean, of course, as most of us have experienced burnout as a new dietitian, though, it almost feels like shameful. You know, I didn't, I I felt terrible, like, wow, I must be really bad at what I'm doing. If I am getting burnt out and like, even maybe approaching just tired of doing this work, it wasn't until I started talking to my other coworkers until I realized like, oh, I'm not alone. This isn't like an abnormal thing. And then also doing supervision with Beth really helped out with burnout. But for those listening, I guess what would a conversation look like that maybe you've had in the past or some example of a dietitian experiencing burnout? How do you guys walk through that together?
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful reflection, Abby. And I'm so grateful that you shared that really pivotal point of that you felt a sense of shame in that experience because you're absolutely not alone in that and remember that you know, as so many teachers talk about, you know, shame thrives when it's not spoken and it's not shared. And actually shame is a really interesting, shame has a really interesting home in our nervous system as well, and has a really interesting home in our body. Because again, you know, shame is not necessarily a highly charged feeling. It's more of a sinking, kind of turning in on ourselves, maybe overthinking, but under- underdoing in the body so again it kind of mimics that a little bit of that freeze state as well you know where we there's a lot going on on the inside but not a lot going on on the the outside and so the kind of conversations that we have around burnout well first of all I like to have conversations around what can protect us from this because I think that you know First of all, talking about it is extremely important, but then it's kind of like the way that I might talk about eating disorders, for example, in that no matter what we throw at protection, prevention, and early intervention, the reality is in my lifetime, I I really wish this wasn't the case, but the likelihood is that people with eating disorders will still exist in the world right? And so people who burn out will still exist in the world. So the first thing is the reality of the intense work that we're doing. That is one of the conversations that I do have with my supervisees, is that this work requires a lot from us. And what is it that we can do that not only takes really good care of us, but it also recognises honestly the work that we're doing, and what we need in doing this work. So supervision is part of that, being in community, so one-on-one supervision, or being in groups, being in a larger community of people who kind of get it. Because feeling got, or feeling understood, or as Dr Dan Siegel says, feeling felt, so, that sense of, oh, okay, I'm being seen, I'm being witnessed, I'm being heard, which is a powerful part of what supervision really serves a part of, is an incredible protective mechanism, kind of the cooling against the heat or the warmth against the freeze. You know, if we were to use that kind of metaphor, are incredibly important and powerful ways for us to understand ourselves, for us to understand our practice and to understand this really important work that we're doing in accompanying and partnering with others in the healing process because you know, anybody who's been doing this work for a while, and Beth, you have been doing this work for a long time, will really understand that it's not just our clients who are healing and on a journey like we are too. We are also, you know, coming up against parts of us that require deep care, that require deep accompanying and deep partnering as we are doing this work with others as well. We're We're not machines. We're not, you know, doing this, doing this kind of very automated work from a, a you know, from, from a concrete, unfeeling place, you know, we're humans too. So that that's kind of the, the suite of conversation points that I would be having with people. And I think the one thing I didn't mention is that when I say in community, of course, one of the most powerful forms of community that has really arisen over the past, I would say five years or so is the Facebook community, which is so, so, so wonderful. And I will say, kind of for the for the purposes of brevity, it's it's not supervision. It's not the same. Being held in a community in a Facebook is not the same as supervision. It is a wonderful place where you can be heard and felt and witnessed and seen and and feel, like you're contributing as well. And also with the greatest of kindness and compassion, it's not the
2: same as supervision. Sure. And we've seen folks really get in there and try to get some of their needs met instead of supervision and putting it out into a group, a community, even a closed group, that's something that really needs more individual attention. Quick break here to give a big shout out to the sponsor of today's episode. I really appreciate the support from Great Plains Idea. And Great Plains Idea is an online master's degree in dietetics program. It's diverse just like our profession. I have mentioned in the past that I teach a course in the fall called Nutrition Therapy for Eating Disorders through Great Plains idea. So you can choose from a variety of courses to elevate your leadership skills, help you apply cutting edge information in clinical nutrition, public health nutrition, healthcare administration, or nutrition needs across the lifespan. So you can tailor your degree to enhance your practice and meet your professional goals. Courses are completely online so you can fit them in around work and family. To learn more, check out gpidea.org or visit the link in our show notes. Oh, my gosh. The reality of the intensity is in the community. So I do supervision groups, too, and I have us all start with something that we're grateful for because of... This is hard work and it's easy to think like what Abby was saying is like that we're just not doing enough or we're not doing it right. And then the community. So one of the things that Abby's doing, and this is connected, you're going to be like, Beth, where are you going with this? Abby's doing your course with Marcy Evans on body image and body image comes up everywhere. Okay, so one of one of my supervisees when we're talking about the nervous system put out a message coping with body image. I just finished a tough session with a client. And so this is the word tough. So their nervous systems are in the room together. It's acknowledging the, the reality of the intensity who was struggling with shame, intense shame from a picture that was sent to her entire team of colleagues. She's looking for resources to help cope and avoid restricting binging based on body image. So uh, this particular person was asking for any resources for body image for us as dietitians.
0: Yeah, so this is a really common one that I would see in a Facebook group or in a in a smaller group of people. And I first start off by offering a ton of compassion for our our kind of reflex to turn outside ourselves. You know, like what resources do I need? What do I need to kind of reach for to grab in order to feel like I am better equipped to do like the job with my client and to help them to feel more embodied, to to help ease their shame, to meet their needs, to to kind of, if I was to distill it, it would be to do a good job, right? And when so many of us, and I'll put up my hand, still to this day and really join with all my colleagues and say that it is incredibly important to me to do a really good job. And that still to this day, my reflex, my kind of fixing reflex or my kind of saving reflex is still, it's right there. I need to watch it all the time, which is why I stay in regular supervision because my supervisor knows this about me and can can kind of call me on it in a really beautiful, gentle way that invites me to look at that part of myself that still wants to reach outside for a resource that wants to reach outside for the next kind of course the next learning the next thing that will help me help me feel more equipped so that's it that's it's not that that's a quote-unquote bad thing so much it's that what does this what does this reflect in me that is that is my own question and that is a question that I would ask for my supervisor for my supervisee I should say or in a facebook group i understand this reflex because i see it in myself and what does this what what opportunity does this provide for me to reflect on how i am uh, how i am showing up for them and i think one thing we kind of leave behind is that validation Is so much more important than reassurance. We're kind of very quick to reach outside and try to kind of fix and validation and being with somebody when they are in the depths of pain, hurt, distress, discomfort, and being there for somebody even if or especially when we don't have those same shared experiences. So just say, for example, that somebody is trans or non-binary and I am cisgender. Just say somebody is in a much larger body, I'm in a smaller body. Say somebody is a person of colour and I'm a white woman. You know, there are all kinds of ways that my privileges really show up in the room very that are quite obvious you know that are quite obvious they're right there and when particularly I think when we're working with people whose identities are not the same as ours it I think what it can do is it can deepen that sense of crap you know what can I do to really not only help and support this person but but if we're being very 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 honest with ourselves it's that kind of that writing reflex I'm borrowing that term from motivational interviewing it's that kind of that fixy part of ourselves that comes from a deeply 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 caring and compassionate space but actually and ironically kind of gets in the way of of our care for others you know, it's what is the work that I can do in myself that can allow me to be with the pain and distress with others without reaching constantly for the correct answer. Yeah,
2: they have Validation yeah. more important than reassurance. And so it is, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. And I was thinking of so many things, Abby. We talked to Dr. Jenny Copeland and she was talking about naming the privilege. If, if she has then privilege and she's working with a client who doesn't. With Adela LaFrance, Dr. LaFrance has a, her emotion focused tree. And if we find ourselves reaching for psychoeducation, then we look at the tr- the roots of that what are we trying to you know is this built on whatever it may be so that is validation is more important than reassurance mm-hmm. i love mm-hmm.
0: that and i think that also can apply to ourselves too mm-hmm. i you know and, and maybe for those of us that are parents you know our kids as well like there is absolutely a time for reassurance for sure but validation validation has a different feel to it. It has a very accompanying, partnering, witnessing kind of feel to it that makes space for the other person to feel their feelings. Whereas reassurance kind of has this kind of band aid feel to it, like we're trying to help them to not feel their feelings and all the therapists listening and the dieticians listening will probably understand that actually the most important route to healing is to be able to find that way to feel our feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, without avoidance, without attachment or with less, sorry, with less avoidance, Mm -hmm. with less attachment, with less perfectionism because turning away from our feelings really just deepens our shame and Mm -hmm. deepens, you know, it deepens those repetitive patterns often from early in our in our life that that has us saying to ourselves, I'm not allowed to feel these feelings, or these feelings aren't okay, or they're not
2: safe, mm-hmm. or um, Back to safety again. Yeah. Back to safety. It's always about safety. That's mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> no, it is I I'm I'm not minimizing that at all. It mm-hmm. truly, truly can be that. And that may be one of the things that we do for supervision is or I do and I think many do is if we're talking about a case, then I'll I'll kind of tee it up for okay, when do you see this client again? What are you going to start with? What are you thinking right now? How do you want to apply what we've talked about today? And so some of some of what this particular supervisee could do would be to just be able to hold that when she, when they were asking for resources is just being able to, not just, but being able to validate how difficult this is Mm -hmm. to feel like this picture was so shame producing that you would turn then to your coping mechanism of the eating disorder or some of the behaviors or symptoms that avoiding food restricting mm-hmm. and binging
0: well what you point out there Beth so beautifully is the parallel process you know so the client is reaching either for food or maybe turning away from food and then the clinician is reaching for resources mm. or is turning away from support because they're feeling ill-equipped or they're feeling you know like that that, that classic kind of good enough I don't I don't know enough. I'm not enough, and and so the parallel process there is is very vivid. And I would, in supervision, I would, with permission, I would point that out to somebody. Oh, you were noticing this parallel process here. You know, tell me about what you're noticing in this. You know, do you notice your client is doing this, and you're also doing this as well in different ways? But we're, you know, but being humans in the room and you Know, kind of invites us to look at the commonalities of our human experience and and how sometimes some transference and some counter transference can also produce this, uh, you know, this kind of parallel process where we're, where we're noticing that our client is doing something similar to what we're doing, or we're doing something to our, what our client is doing, but it's both coming from the same place, and that is the not enough place. Not wow. enough, not, yeah. not I'm yeah. not doing enough. I'm not, I don't know enough. You know, who I am is not enough. And so I think that's one of the things that supervision is incredibly powerful for. It has been my experience, and that is my intention as a supervisor, is to provide a space where a clinician feels more grounded and feels like they have a stronger foundation of of who I am and what I offer is enough now. As I am. I'll be in a different place in 12 months, in two years, in five years, in 10 years. I'll be in a different place. And that's for the future. I don't need to grasp, I don't need to attach, I don't need to avoid. I can be who I am right now, and that is enough. And so I don't I don't know of another space really apart from supervision, where I feel that. I certainly feel it in my colleagues now because of the spaces that I move in and the kind of the groups that I engage with, but that is absolutely supercharged in supervision, that sense of, oh, I do know enough for now to be able to hold space for the experiences of another whilst also holding space for my own suite of experiences as I'm doing this quite technical work.
1: I think something that can be challenging is setting the tone or setting the pace. So just like you guys have both talked about, we want to validate, we want to you know, be there, let them speak how they want to about their eating disorder. How do we, while validating, also encourage them forward? Or do you feel like it's more of the patient's job to set the tone?
0: That is so wonderful. So just to check in with you, Abby, so what you're asking about is, you know, is it our job to kind of set the pace and set the tone or is it the the client or the patient's job to set the tone or is that what you're asking just to check in?
1: Right. Yes. Because sometimes I find that, you know, we could take up a whole session validating and talking about what's making them very uncomfortable. And so I, sometimes I wonder like, wow, well, is this the point where I should interject? Is this the point where we talk about what's going to be our goal moving forward? Yeah, interesting. So Abby, if
0: it feels okay with you, what we might what you and I might do is I might role model, say for example in supervision, if you brought that to supervision, how I might respond. So, I'm just going to ask your permission to proceed. Does that does that feel okay for you if I role model what I would say if you brought that to me in supervision? Yes, absolutely. Okay, thank you so much. So, what I would pause there and ask is to say is to ask Abby it sounds to me like you you've got some you've got some thoughts and feelings around maybe the value of validation and how you and how you know kind of the the importance of validation so for you Abby how important do you think really being with somebody and validating is for the relationship that you are that you are aiming to build with somebody. You know, where does that sit for you in terms of the the level of importance you think in the work that you're doing with someone?
1: Highly important, of course. Definitely very important. I think something else that wraps into it is not wanting to overstep a therapist. So maybe I'm getting, I get caught up in that.
0: Yeah. So you might have some concerns around scope of practice there by the sounds of it. And that you might be kind of worried about, oh goodness, is me, is me really being here and being present for this person as they're telling me about something, is that enough? And is that kind of going beyond my scope of practice?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So
0: for the purposes of this conversation, I would kind of pursue that a little further, Abby, but for the purposes of our conversation today, I'm just going to shortcut just a tiny bit. Abby, it sounds to me like you're kind of wondering, you know, when we kind of get to the good stuff, when we get to the kind of the action, action steps. And that would makes complete sense, if I can just say, because this is what our training is grounded in. Our training is grounded in the action steps of behaviour change, right? It's the what do we do next? The, you know, the, the goal setting, you know, this is this is all of our training is grounded in this. So it makes real sense that we would have this reflex of is listening and being there enough that we would ask ourselves me as a dietitian like when do i kind of get to the the doing stuff and the and the what's next now would i say that listening being there kind of just kind of the quote unquote holding space for session after session after session. Would I say that that is a great use of your time? Perhaps not. Perhaps not. However, being able to read body cues and to kind of know when to kind of change pace is pretty important. And so, if I was your supervisor, and I'll stay in this role for a second, what I would ask you is, Abby, are you interested in maybe having a conversation? We could pop that on our agenda about the kind of how and when we can change pace and how and when we can kind of sit back and, you know, lean forward. Is that of interest to you as as an agenda item on our supervision one day?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Perfect. So
0: I'm going to make a note of that because I'm going to keep a little note for us that something that you really want to put on the agenda is how I can uh, set the pace and how I can how I can set the tone whilst also kind of partnering with my client to be able to, you know, really pay attention to cues in them and also cues in myself too. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the cues in me that has me just wanting to do the thing and get to the good stuff and set our goals? And is that my priority today? It might be next time, but is that my my priority for the time that we have together today? Or really does this person, they just need another human being to accompany, accompany them in the suckiness of whatever it is that they are experiencing without me Kind of stepping in and being you know a little fixy a little fix it person. So in supervision I know that this is maybe not exactly where you where you wanted this to, to go so my apologies but in supervision that's how we might kind of work through something like this is to my aim for you Abby would be to illuminate that writing reflex or to illuminate that sense in you, that we're not doing a good enough job until we're getting to the goal setting or until we're doing the thing or until I'm giving them this handout or until we're doing that thing and so the crux of that is that's meeting
2: our needs is that meeting our clients needs Mm. wow oh my gosh so oh sorry Abby go ahead
1: I was just gonna say, like what a perfect little tease of what supervision is. Like I I would have never come up with this myself. Like the value of talking to someone else, talking to you know, someone experienced in the field. So if this hasn't sold you on supervision, I don't know. I don't know what will.
2: Well, and I noticed how she created for you. Like we cannot assure safety, but you, with the validating with you, Abby, well, that makes complete sense that we would want to get to the action steps. That's how we've been trained. It just washes away. I mean, I felt in my body that it just kind of calmed down. Like I'm doing nothing wrong. I've been trained to do this. Abby, you putting yourself out there for this podcast to allow some, what we talked about earlier, confronting, it can feel confronting sometimes if you, you know, if you're doing your learning in front of people as it's being mm-hmm. recorded. So thank you for, thank you both for that. Fiona, can people reach you through, can they do supervision with you? Or are you filled up, filled up, completely booked out? And, and by the way, some of this was in your trauma-informed nutrition course.
0: Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Beth. So all of the things that I do and offer can all be found on au. So because I'm in Australia, it's .au, of course. And so I have done some collaborations with Sumner Brooks at EDRD Pro, who offers such a rich array of courses and webinars and the that membership is probably one of the things I value the most. Honestly, it's the best kind of professional development that I do. So, big shout outs to Sumner and EDRD Pro. So, I have collaborated with with Sumner on an Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Dietitians course. That was also with two therapists alongside um, Dr. Margaret Berman and uh, Dr. Janine Anderson as well, who are both so 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 experienced, so seasoned therapists and people who I adore and have got so much respect for. So that with them. I also co-hosted the binge eating disorder course for dietitians with Aaron Flores, again, somebody who I have a mountain of respect for. And then with Tracy Brown through the Mindful Dietitian, that's the trauma-informed dietetic care course. And that's the one where the first half of it, I mean, I wonder what you would say, Beth, but I feel like the best description is kind of the first half is understanding ourselves and understanding our own nervous systems. And then the second half is, you know, what might this look like in our work with others. So would that be a good rough
2: description I think so. And that? Yeah. So that that's where I was kind of pulling from as you were working with Abby is, is, is both of those pieces, like identifying ourselves and then what would, how we show up in the room. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, and then one of the courses that I just love, love, love is the one that you did, Abby, or the one that you're doing. And that is the one in collaboration with Marcy Evans so that course is on marcyrd.com and i i just love this course so much because it invites me to really do consistently really examine my own work with others and my own embodiment you know in in my own life and my own experiences so that's the, that's the body image healing course that i that i have done with marcy and then with regards to supervision i am Full, 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 full at the moment, but I do routinely take a wait list and I see both individuals, you know, for one on one. I also run some groups as well. And both of those are, I think, quite different. They have, as you both know, you know, groups and individual supervision, kind of a different feel to them and have unique qualities that are incredibly valuable, I think, as a participant as well, because of course I'm still very much a supervisee, I'm a lifelong learner. Me too. Um, yeah, I think that commitment to lifelong learning just keeps us really humble and open to the prospect of of always being humans as we are doing this human thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And we have talked about body image a hundred times on podcasts and how tricky it is. It's, you know, it's a tricky one. So I cannot recommend the body image course with Marcy Evans enough to everybody listening. It is really so great. And Fiona, you are clearly so weaved into all of the education here and, you know, nationally, worldwide, we're all listening to you using your words of wisdom. So if I could ask you a wrap-up question, taking yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now?
2: And you can take your time with this. I do want to say too that there were some things that you said like currently or in this moment, you know, 12 years ago versus 12 years from now. It's you know, in this moment. So we all mm-hmm. come to this with different, we I think that I, I really appreciate you saying in this moment I am enough. So mm-hmm. in Abby's moment, in my moment, in your yeah. moment. Yes.
0: I really want to honor the importance of this question by giving it some thought, Abby. So I, I will say, Abby, that it's really, really interesting you ask this question because what I notice as a supervisor with my supervisees is I notice that some there there is a part of me that wants to desperately like quote unquote save early clinicians from some of the pain and distress that I experienced from not getting the support that I needed, and so I actually because I'm a very I'm a very overt worker like I'm a very overt supervisor and a clinician as well. So by overt I mean I try to I tr- if I notice something in myself I try to pop it on the table. That's called kind of in vivo or live work. And I just have had some recent discussions with some early clinicians, yeah, very, very recently around. Oh wow, I'm noticing that as we are sitting here together, I'm noticing my a body memory in me. You know, I I'm kind of putting myself almost like in your shoes and what I most needed to hear. So I want to, I just want to name that, and I trust that you know, what I, what I am offering, please take or leave. But I'm also noticing this part of me that might be, you know, trying to help myself, (laughs) my past self. I, I've noticed that regularly in my supervision, actually, with my, particularly my earlier, early, earlier learners, let's just say, is there's a part of me that's like, I really want to, I want to kind of save you. So I, I need to watch that part of myself, which is why I'm trying to be thoughtful about this response, Abby. I was, much more perfectionistic early on than I am now. I definitely did not have a good grounding in enoughness, for sure. I was definitely both much more avoidant and much more graspy than I am now. What I know now is really, really what Beth said, and that is I know that I have enough for what, for the work that I do now. I know that I have enough. Do I know all the things? No. Am I committed to ongoing learning? I love learning so much. But both of those things can be true at once. I can both be enough and I can want to learn more. So I think that's what I would say to myself is you are right where you need to be and you can still really have a thirst for learning more and understanding more and, you know, deepening and broadening a sense of your place and your practice. So I think that's what I would say to myself.
1: It's like music to a new dietitian's ears. <laughs> and I am I'm tearing up here. Like literally it's not
2: just a new dietitian, Abby, but hearing these things are I was thinking about so many people who will benefit from that, just that message, that last wrap up. So thank you so much for giving your all to us today, Fiona, and we really appreciate your time. You are more than
0: welcome. It has been such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me and I really, really look forward to staying in touch. Thank you.
2: Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethherrell.com professionals.